Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Copa with Felipe Cardenas. Welcome back, actually. This is my second episode, and my guest today is Carl Worswick. He's a British journalist who's based in Bogota, Colombia, specializing in Colombian football. Uh, you can find his work at The Guardian. He writes for World Soccer Magazine. He's an excellent follow on Twitter, trust me, and we're going to get into that. I'm going to read some of his tweets. He doesn't know that, but we're going to read his tweets as well. Uh, Carl, how are you? Welcome to the show. Oh, very well, thanks. How are you? Thanks I'm doing great. Uh, of course, you know, as we're talking about offline, I mean, being a foreign correspondent is just, it's something that fascinates me. I think that life has always been one that intrigues me as well. Uh, and you were the first person I thought of. You're in Colombia, you're covering the game in Colombia, men's and women's football. Uh, we were talking offline. You're, you're from the north of England, born in Preston. You're an Aston Villa supporter. But why did you decide to move to Colombia and to become a foreign correspondent. How did that work out? Um, well, it's a long story. Uh, I started, I was uh, working in London for a newspaper and they were pretty political. So they sent me to the Copa America in 2007, which was held in Venezuela. Uh, I'd always been very into football, but um, that, that sort of melting pot of football and politics at the time, Hugo Chavez had uh, been the first Venezuelan president to really start using football because it's a, a massively baseball country. And I was based in just down by the border, San Cristóbal, um, and I have five days free. So I took a, uh, the chance, the temptation was, was too much to cross the border into Colombia. I don't, I don't know, something hit me. And I just thought, you know, ever since I was a kid, I was interested in living somewhere else, learning about the new culture. And it had to be something completely different. I didn't want something, you know, Australia, a bit like a very uh, British culture, but with a bit more sun. I wanted something completely uh, new change uh, with a football culture. And um, a year later, took the decision, right, okay, it's now or never. And then I got a girlfriend and plans got shifted a little bit. And then, yeah, 2010, I, I took the plunge. And the, the original plan was to come out for a, for a year, see how it went, and everything I wanted to do in that year, nothing got done um, because I was juggling way too many things, learning Spanish and trying to earn some money and, uh, yeah, uh, getting established as as a journalist too. But uh, I'd had that seven year, those seven years in, in London working mainly on, on, in politics but also uh, had been interested in, in, in football too and had been writing for the newspaper about football but mainly about those football political uh, stuff that are always interlinked. So what, I mean, other than learning the language, you had to learn Spanish, you had to get used to South American culture. And as you know, now mm -hmm. every country has its own culture. It's very different from even from Venezuela to Colombia. There are a lot of similarities, but there are differences as well. What has been in these 12 years, I believe that you've been in, mm -hmm. in Colombia, what has been the most 
rewarding aspect for you and what has been the most the biggest challenge perhaps i think being able to control what i write about um for me has been the most rewarding thing and just the unexpected nature of not knowing where and then it, well not not knowing where my next project's going to be and having the whole country to go and dive into some really incredible stories that um I wouldn't get, get that freedom, I don't think. For example, when I was working in, in London, I, I was told, right, you have to write about this train strike that's going on today. And mm. oh, okay, right, off I go. And um, whereas here, it's, it's up to me to, to control that. And yeah, that South Columbia is, is very colorful. Life has been a massive, it sounds a real big kill issue, but it, it is a, every day is an adventure. You, you just don't know what's around the corner. And um, yeah, it's, it's just been, a real change um, for me and having to battle with certain cultural aspects as well has, has, has been tough, but I think in, in, in the whole, I don't regret any of it, despite at the, at the beginning, it was very frustrating not being able to speak Spanish fully and wanting to do things. But um, yeah, little by little, I've, I've, I've been building myself up and I'm in a position now where I can control what um, exactly what I, right about I'm, I lost you I think I've lost you <laughs> no there I'm yeah, there okay. I'm there I hear you. <laughs> so Carl I, I do want to get to your coverage of the Women's Cup America that that just recently finished but before let's go back a year Cup America 2021 was was set mm -hmm. to be hosted in Colombia co-hosted between Colombia and Argentina uh you know COVID was not under control at the time in both countries and then violent protests broke out throughout Colombia 30 days before the tournament uh, I covered the story here from the United States. Uh, initial reports had uh, almost 50 dead due to the protests. Uh, you were on the ground, though. I remember seeing your coverage. Y you saw everything up and close, up close and personal. So, what was your approach like uh, as a football journalist covering that story? And and just what did you see? Well, it was impossible to miss because it was a everywhere um but we've got to remember they didn't erupt overnight Th those protests that happened 30 days before the tournament they'd begun that began brewing many, uh, a long time before that before the the pandemic in fact in 2019 there were massive protests and there were the deaths also and the police um infamously murdered one of the prote protesters um and that was never resolved um and the, the the real core um reason why why these protests rumbled on and on and then i should say 30 days before the tournament began um was because colombians didn't see that their lives were getting any better they were getting worse and this is one of the most unequal countries in in the world and the pandemic really um exacerbated th those problems the government um just proved to be very deaf um, lived in a bubble, um, didn't really ever connect with, with, with listening to the frustrations of everyday people. And um, we've, we've recently seen a massive, massive shift politically, the first time ever Colombia have uh, jumped left um, in 200 years, which when I arrived 10 years ago was unthinkable, talking to people about politics, that just was never, ever going to happen. So it, it really has showed how much Colombia has changed. But 30 days before the tournament, yeah, um, I think a lot of people thought, that what 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 are we doing what why the hell are we having a football tournament and putting on this uh, this sporting event and 
celebration of our country when we can't even feed our people. So I think that became one of the of many, many demands that um, we, we shouldn't be um, doing this right now, um, that it would be great to have it in the future. Um, and Columbia had uh, only ever won that tournament once when it was uh, held on home soil. And in the end, the, the, the government were forced into a, a rather humbling climb down and canceled the, uh, the tournament. Well, uh, gave, gave the tournament to another country. So at the last minute, which was, yeah, <laughs> and not, not, didn't, didn't go down well um, within those political circles. And um, yeah, it was, it was hairy at times. It was quite scary um, to, to see because I, I don't think uh, for a lot of people, they just felt um, that we've not got anything uh, to lose here because things are, are that bleak. It was bad. I mean, just being Colombian from afar, it was it was tragic to see. I have family there. I have friends there. You're getting reports of people not wanting to leave their house, violence breaking out in, in, mm-hmm. in nice neighborhoods. It wasn't just in sort of the, the, the more poverty-stricken parts of the country. It was, it was really everywhere. But, you know, a, a year goes by, almost two years go by, and all of a sudden, Colombia is once again in this a very similar position, set to host an international tournament. This time, the women's Copa America mm-hmm. for the first time. Uh, you covered the tournament. It was for all intents and purposes, uh, based on perhaps uh, the output from the fans that supported the host Colombia. The, the stadiums were full, but you know, I think it was just a week before the tournament started. The women's football league in Colombia was canceled. So mm-hmm. how critical a situation is it for women's football? And does the Copa, the success of the Copa America, will that change anything in Colombia for, for women? It, yeah, it was actually a day before the, day? the yeah. league held. Yeah, the day before the league held the um, regular meeting and decided that um, we'd like to do it, but there just isn't any money, any money. And this has been a constant excuse for, for years and years. Um, and of course, it's a bit more complicated than that. It, it needs the uh, the will of the clubs as well and other uh, the sponsors. And, um, but there has always been um, the sense that um, the league aren't really interested in promoting women's football. And there are, it's, it's not just me saying that. I mean, the, the, these words have literally come out of the mouths of some of the people who are running Colombian football that they they just don't see it as a viable option and aren't willing to invest in it uh, because this isn't something that you start today and tomorrow it's a money making um, operation. No, you, like the men's game, it took hundred over hundred years for for it to become the the the, the beast, the, the money making beast that it is now. Um, so yeah, that was a, a huge blow uh, because I mean, talking of the Colombian team. Um, which I covered in particular, um, they of, of the 22 players that they had in the squad, 11 of them lost their job. Hmm. And so on the league said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll put on a little bit of a, a mini tournament just so that you can get, keep fitness up before the Copa de Libertadores kicks off. But that still means that 11 months of the year, you don't have, a, have any regular football. So and there are so many stories, so many interesting stories. This is what I came to realize during the tournament. Um, so a little bit what what I was doing, I was making a, a six-part documentary um, on women's football for for FIFA. Um, well, they they were one of the partners in it that uh, is going to go out next year. And um, yes, yeah, a, a really really great project, I think, um, on called the road to um, Australia and New Zealand. And so we we went behind the scenes and tried to find out like what was it like for a woman 
or a girl growing up in Colombia wanting to play football and the hurdles that they had to overcome are, are incredible. I mean, not, not, I mean, the, the, this story is, is quite common in the men's game as well. The, the rags, the riches story, but here you don't even have your support from your family because girls shouldn't be playing football. And we found that time and time again. Um, and there are a lot of um, girls and women who also have to take to um, working in second jobs. There's one player who's a, a refuse collector um, in her spare time. There are other girls who, who sell uh, food on the side of the street. And this is you know, <laughs> some of the, the things that they're up against. So um, a day before that was cancelled. And as the players came out for the national anthem, um, they'd already released a, a video a, a, an hour or two before. Um, a silent process, really, with them all just raising their arms and um, in a sort of defiant sign of protest. And that's what they did during the national anthem. Even in Colombian media, this was brushed aside as like, oh, look, they're going to be victorious at this tournament. No, no, no. This is had a political meaning. But they know that they can't come out to do, you know, reveal a, a logo or something like that because this has happened before and players have been blacklisted. There are several players and Colombia did very, very well in this Copa America. They got to the final and gave Brazil, who were on a different level in South America, they gave them a really good game. But this they had mysteriously, curiously, several players missing from the squad. Some of the top players in, who were playing in Europe, Jorale Rincon, who is arguably one of the greatest players of all time, playing in the Italian league, top assist maker last season. Um, and all the players that were missing in 2018, I think it was, came out and said, enough is enough. There are so many problems and we're going to come out and reveal some of them. And curiously, some of them, all those players um, are now um, acts from the national team. So, um, no, it, it, to, to ask your question of whether this will change things, I think it, already things are changing. Um, in term, on, on a grassroots level, people are interested in the women's game. We saw uh, with the league final last year, America de Cali against Deportivo Cali um, the stadium was full um, people are interested in it and they see in the women's game a humility uh, and someone to um, to support that have, have faced everything and are still fighting and I think that's, that's a great message for, um, for the women's game and I think it's uh, something that a lot of people can identify with because it's something that they are going through in their everyday lives with all the protests and, and things like that. So um, I, I think it, yeah, from, from, from the base, it, it, there is something changing. The real question is whether at, at the top of um, the Football Federation, because this is the case for the women's game as well, but um, it is a close shot. There are basically about uh, 36, there are 36 teams, 36 uh, presidents, and they uh, control the sport. It's a private entity, as they, they always re remind us, and that they make the rules. And so there's no, there's no freshness of ideas. There's nobody um, there to put pressure on them uh, because they just run the show um, with the same people, uh, as always, and the sons then come in and uh, their friends come in. So um, that's going to be the, the main um, um yeah, barrier to change, but with the new government, they, Gustavo uh, Petro, the, the new president, has already said that the first priority of his Ministry of Sport will be to um, create a, a women's league that is that will last, that won't be just you know made up on, on the eve of the tournament, and that there will be proper uh, wages and there will be a proper structure um, and a proper calendar because the leagues that we've seen so far have just been so ad hoc, games played at nine o'clock in the morning on awful pitches 
uh, and behind closed doors. I, I mean, just, yeah, last last season, every single game except the final was played behind closed doors. How are you supposed to ever build the support if you just shut off the whole population from, from the game? So there are still massive uh, barriers, but I, th- I think um, certainly from um, there is interest there. It's it's almost it's disheartening, really, when you see the decision makers of of the most popular sport in Colombia so out of touch with the rest of the world. And I understand, and being Colombian, you're there as well. Culturally, uh, th- there is still so much machismo. There's misogyny. It's, it, it just sort of reeks and it finds its way into women's sports. And th- for me, the biggest, I guess, shocker is what, what we just witnessed in Europe, the, the the women's European Championship, England winning, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hailed as a seminal moment moment for sport in that country, a massive victory for 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 for, for pre- professional women and professional women athletes for footballers, uh, just you know, in in North America alone, Liga MX Femenil, very well supported by the Mexican Football Federation sponsors, they're attracting some of the top players uh, in women's football, and. South America is so far behind. So it is it just in your opinion, you, you mentioned some of the players, Linda, Linda Caicedo for Colombia, the 17 year old, like a, a star was born. You know, she can play, I think, at on any any team in the world. Is mm-hmm. is there a fear that players like her will just fall within the cracks and, and not be discovered? I think that has happened many, many times. Yeah, um, it must have done. I mean, the whole structure of Colombian football, there must be so many uh, girls who have the dream of being a footballer, but just don't have any support and see so many barriers. And at the end of the day, have to feed their families or provide for their families. So just abandon their, their dreams. And that must have happened many, countless times. And hearing some of the stories um, while making this documentary, it, it became blatantly clear. Um, and yeah, the machismo is is, is rampant, and and there are, there are conversations where um, one of the pre- presidents, one of the top dogs in Colombian football, described women's football as um, a breeding ground of lesbianism, where they're all they're, they're just a bunch of boozers. So I mean, <laughs> these, these are the people who are running football. They, do, they don't. Um, <laughs> and there's nobody there to 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 shape things up, yeah. and this is the big problem as with Colombian football as a as a whole. Until you, what you really need to do is take an axe and cut the the roots and and start again almost. Um, but without without that pressure, it's, it's going to be hard for the new president to to shake things up. Um, but he can apply pressure, and he can. Um, link up some of the government organisations so that there is a, a structure there, uh, but but yeah, changing those attitudes of of, of, the, of the guys in the Colombian Federation, the Colombian League, is going to be a massive challenge. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So I, I want to shift to men's football, the men's national team. Mm-hmm. But this is a great segue to read one of your uh, tweets. This is a great tweet that you wrote in January of, t- of t- 2022. And this is when oh, the, the Colombian national team, they had just hired Reynaldo Rueda. 
Uh, uh-huh. and you know, it wasn't going so great. You're not sure what's going to happen. You don't, are they going to qualify? Is he the right man? Uh, in the end, they did not qualify, but this is what you wrote at the time. You wrote, it's so simple to pin all the blame on Ruela to pin, to pine for the 2012, 2014 Peckerman glory years and pretend nobody was screaming for him to go. Not quite so easy to lift the carpet on Colombian football and take a closer look from top to bloody bottom at its rotten and perverse structure. I'll mm-hmm. never forget that tweet because I think it was somebody, for me, it was like, well, here's someone who moved from another country, is covering the culture and has witnessed this firsthand. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Colombia misses out on the World Cup. Like, going back to the original question for women's football, how critical a place is, is football in general right now in Colombia, not having been, uh, not qualifying for the, the 2022 World Cup and the men's World Cup in Qatar. And with what you've described with sort of the, the problems organizationally, like where is Colombian football right now? In a bad place, to be honest. Um, not just the national team, um, but also the, the domestic game as well. Colombia is always going to produce talent. It's 50 million, there are 52 million people here. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very uh, rich football, it's got a very rich football culture. So it's always going to produce talent. But from my 10, 12 years here, um, trying to understand how, how that talent comes through, I can just, I, I just really, it's, it's sad to see how everything, uh, that there is no structure. And a lot of these players, they might have all the talent in the world, but none of them are prepared for the next step up to leave Colombia. And it might be just simple things like they don't know how to uh, pay a bill or they don't know how to speak any words of English at all, or they don't know how to live by themselves. But the clubs and the clubs aren't interested in this. The, the, their agents aren't interested in this. It's just, and, and some, quite often the move that players get to a foreign club isn't in the best interest of the player at all. We've seen it many, many times again. Maros Moreno, who was Mm. at Nacional in 2016, is a classic example. It's a sad example of how he was just uh, sold to the the, the highest bidder without a proper plan on what his career would would be like. Um, But I I think the the, the problems with Colombian football go back way, way, way um, into the history, uh, into this sort of weird structure they have where one man basically controls the whole game. It's called Alvaro Gonzalez. Um, he controls four out of the seven votes in, in, in the Football Federation. He's been there for 30, 40 years. You can't get rid of him. He doesn't <laughs> want to go anywhere. His son's involved in football. His whole family's involved in football. And he's come out with some pretty shocking things over the years. Um, and he runs the, the show as if it's his, his, his own country. And uh, I, I don't think that's healthy for, for any organisation, and, and no matter what it is. And it's not a, a healthy for football. Missing out on the, on the World Cup is, is huge, of course, because in, in many ways, especially coming after this um, period of 50 odd years of war and you have the peace treatment, uh, the treaty um, and then you've got a very massively divided country because we, we can't forget that for whatever reason um, more than half the people voted against that um, peace right. uh, accord which sounds weird no you've got one of the longest running wars in, in, in the western hemisphere and people didn't want to end it um, but it just shows the division of, of the country and, and even in the recent election um, which 
uh, a left winger against uh, someone, a right wing populist, um, it was pretty tight. And football was the glue that sort of held the country together. With, and, and I say that with a um, with a clause. I, I think it is a glue, uh, the glue that holds the country together when things are going well. When things are going well, you see everyone coming together. And it's one of the only areas in such a class-ridden society where the country comes together and you see people uh, piling into bars, uh, no matter what, how, how rich they are or, or the colour of skin or anything. Um, and, yeah, when things are going bad, then you start to see the divisions coming coming through. Um, but without, without the World Cup, um, I, I think a country the size of Colombia, um, it, it's, it, it shows that there's something um, not not quite right within football that uh, one, one of the I mean except for Italy I'd probably say it's one of the biggest countries in the world that isn't going to be at the World Cup right and, yeah, and you and must feel that yourself of <laughs> course Colombia, I mean, and they, how, they have you know Colombia is not going this team wasn't going to go to the World Cup and compete to lift the trophy but they no. had a World Cup caliber team they should have at least been in the tournament right you look at you know the, some uh -huh. of the players are all in Europe you have Luis Diaz like in his prime uh, it, it's a total shame. And, and here in the United States, you know, they, the, the U.S. did not qualify for the 2018 World Cup and it just mm -hmm. changed everything. Now they're going to have, I think, the youngest team in Qatar. They, they essentially turned over a generation of players. And when I talk to my friends in Colombia, the, the question is, like, what are we going to do? Are we going to do that? Are we going to keep leaning on mm -hmm. Falcao and, and James Rodriguez and, and sort of the old guard that, that really brought all the joy back? to Colombia after mm -hmm. 16 years without going to World Cup. So is is there that possibility in your eyes being on the ground there? Is, are there talks of we need to bring in a new generation of player before the sport gets away from us? Yeah, well, I think that's that's always um, – I mean, whenever a country misses on, on the World Cup, you can't just return to the glory years. And like I said in our tweet, to sort of pine for um, what made us good back then. And this happened. To, this has happened so many times in Colombia's history. Uh, after those great teams of the nineties, mm -hmm. how many times did Francisco Maturana, the manager of the nineteen ninety uh, team, come back afterwards <laughs> as, as manager or Bolio, his assistant? How yep. many times did they go? Okay, let's try something new. No, didn't work after three games. Let's get Bolio back. And um, the amount of managers they rifled through in those years up until Peckham arrived was, was incredible. And there was never a process because every single manager arrived with new players, with new ideas, um, with new tactics, and there was never a proper structure in place. Now, when you miss out on a World Cup like Colombia has just uh, done, and as even bigger countries, uh, historically speaking, um, have, have done, the best thing to do is reflect right. and, to tr and accept, um, right, well, we didn't qualify because of such a reason and i just don't really see the there being that um process going on within colombian football at any level really um <clears throat> so no unfortunately i don't know now they're not gonna have to they're, they're not gonna be playing falcal he's, he's already <laughs> no but, but they've so brought no, they in but they brought in a peckerman assistant so it's it's exactly. like they're going back uh -huh. to what they felt worked uh, -huh. uh is what does that say? Does that show that the federation is sort of raising their hand and say, "Okay, we got it wrong. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to what worked before." If they'd have done this four years ago right. when Peckerman left, I think people would say, "Well, that's that's a that makes sense." You know, to do it four years later, having um, gone through two, two managers, um, 
I think it shows a bit of a sign of desperation for yeah. wanting to. And and let, let's be honest, the only reason Lorenzo is uh, manager is because he was Peckman's uh, assistant. He hasn't really achieved very much uh, anywhere else. He, he did a good job at Melgar for a year and a bit, but really, he, <laughs> let's not kid ourselves, he didn't get the job because of what he did at Melgar, a, a Peruvian uh, mid-table team. So, um, again, yeah, I just don't think there's any sort of strategy or pl- long-term planning for Colombian football because it's so disjointed and that there's one man at the top and he's got he's surrounded with people in his echo chamber uh, in his comfort zone who who aren't applying that pressure for change and if there isn't a, a change when things are going bad then <laughs> you're just going to end up repeating the, the the problems and yeah that that's the story at the top of the game and at the bottom of the game it's this is, this is a country with 52 million people, and we've got 36 professional teams. So many of the, the breeding grounds for of, of footballers were, um, were players like Wellington Ortiz, one of the greatest players of all time, come from, have never seen professional football in their, their cities. Right. Um, his football is, is concentrated in the biggest cities, not in particularly in, in, in the places where footballers are. Uh, I, I produce like Chocó, um, like Tomaco, like Buenaventura. Um, so it, it just seems, I mean, how, how can you have a country of 52 million people, only 36 professional teams? Um, and it's, it's so concentrated in certain parts of the country. So, yeah, until, until we, you, you uh, grapple with the, the, those, those problems, I, I, I think you can... Um, Cover up uh, some of them. Uh, if you, if Luis Diaz, for for example, s- starts firing because he, he hasn't really done it. That, um, certainly not in the the World Cup qualifiers. He he wasn't uh, at, at his in his Liverpool or Porto for but the Copa America. Copa America he did well. he was, yeah, the yeah, Copa America. He was, he was great. He was, he was great. very good. Um, but he wasn't all Copa America. That I don't know, it was it six games to decide four qualifiers. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's going to be taking a pinch of salt that Copa America, but. And, and it was organized at the last minute with not fans. So, right. um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I just think that there are, uh, <laughs> the Columbia Federation haven't really come to terms with um, or reflected um, in, a, in a professional way yeah. on why they're not at this World Cup. I think it's, it's just easy to blame the manager because it's, it's such a simple, you know, why, why did he put Borja on in, in the 90th minute again or Freddy <laughs> against Peru? Well, um, yeah, I, I think football's a bit more complicated. So. so I knew I would be somewhat upset having you on the show. I knew it because you were going to talk just total truths about Colombian football and the reality sting. Uh, but I do want to end on this. We're going to get to the spot kick in a second um, after this last question. What have you learned from Colombia's football culture that you didn't already know that you didn't know when you arrived. What, what is one takeaway that, that has really stuck with you uh, in being in Colombia as long as you have in covering the sport there? Ooh. Wow. That's a big question. Um, I didn't, I didn't really know that much about Colombian football when I first arrived. And I think that when it was almost like, I remember when I was about 10 or 11 years old and I first got into football and I just had to, you know, buy all the magazines and just consume football all the time. And it was almost like reliving my teenage years in, okay, right, well, let's find out who were the best players historically for America, Dick Carly. And uh, just, I, I just think 
for me is more um I, I mean in an, a, a slightly opposition here um where i i'm the one of the only foreign journalists covering um the game and that sometimes is 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 a blessing it opens doors to me uh, Juan Carlos Osorio, I remember once meeting him and he was, yeah, come to Medellin and you can stop with me and we'll we'll just go out and we'll talk wow. about football all the time. And then, wow, this clearly wouldn't happen if I'm just some normal journalist from, I don't know, let's say, uh, from Wheeler. Um, so that it does open and, and doors quite a lot. Sometimes it, it, it's it's not quite as uh, as helpful because there is, as they call, call it here, a rosca. Uh, like an old boys network and uh if you're if you're not part of that or if, if and i understand that it, it's kind of hard for a lot of journalists to to to, to survive in in colombia um and be critical um and, and i hope i haven't come i think i have come across, across as very critical of colombian football but i really am colombian football's biggest fan right. and I, I love it and i love it more than english football now uh, because i live it every single day wow. um so that process has, has has been yeah really enriching to to to, to dive into a no, new football culture and get to know it all and and, and be treated um I, yeah I've had a time of my life in Colombia but um, I, I think it is hard for a, a lot of Colombian journalists to to be critical because mm. that's not what the Colombian Federation and the league want to hear and they are very <laughs> good at closing doors to. Uh, to people who are critical to them, so in a, in a, in a way, I, I'm lucky because I, I have that independence, right. and um, and and I, I I can just go and off wherever and uh, <laughs> do what I want. Um, well, your candor, your candor is, I think, is what uh, intrigued me the most about just following you on Twitter, reading your stories. Uh, you certainly seem like someone that was very brave and unafraid to say speak a lot of the truths that, that, that happened in Colombian football. So uh, it, it's been great to follow. Congratulations on, on the documentary as well. FIFA, I can't wait to see that one. And, and, and listen, Carl, with that, we're, we're here to the spot kick. Are you ready? Remember, this is it. Five questions. You can't waffle. You, you're, you're at the spot. You've got to pick your corner. You're going down the middle. You're going to the left. Don't think about it too much because you're going to, the goalie will save it or, or you'll lose the match in penalty. So five questions. The first one, let's just let's just get to, to the let's get to okay. this. I've not done any of my homework, so I've okay. been practicing right. my well, penalties. So. I've saved. Uh, we're gonna go with the most important question first: okay. Venezuelan arepas or Colombian arepas? Oof. Uh, Venezuelan. Oh, yeah. a, oh a, my sorry. goodness! I know oh that They've got a filling. <laughs> they taste of it. <laughs> yeah. Fine, fine. Okay. Um, so, so I could start. <laughs> no, 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 so far, no. I think I would have saved that one. Um, okay. Better England World Cup semifinal team. The 1990 squad or the 2018 side? Which team are you taking? Um, no, 1990. Yeah. That was a good team. They were fun. Mm. Gasco, yeah, Gascoigne, it was the Waddle, uh-huh. Shilton. Uh huh. Well, the reason I'm an Aston Villa fan is because when I was eight years old, um, the first game I went to see was a Crew Alexandra game, and David Platt was playing for them. And then shortly after, he signed for Aston Villa. And as an eight-year-old, he was my hero. So that's how it all started. So yeah, David Platt's goal against Belgium was one, one of the most. Yeah, he had a great <laughs> tournament. Momentous. All right, third spot kick, Carl. Will James Rodriguez play in Europe again? 
Yes or no? Uh, um, I mean, he really wants to, but I don't think he <laughs> should do. <laughs> uh, yes, he will. He yeah. will. Okay. Yeah, okay. He will. Brave he answer. Brave answer. Once again, I don't have that sort of confidence anymore in how much Rodriguez, uh, but you know, we'll see. No, I don't. I don't. But yeah, um, I can see him having a disastrous loan spell somewhere. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where he plays about three games and gets injured. <laughs> okay, third spot kick. No, this is the fourth spot kick. Fourth spot kick. Which yeah. city has the more dreary climate, Bogota or London? Oh, no, London, definitely. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those five months of winter, brutal. It's one of the reasons I, I left England. Um, or is it, I, I, just, I know a lot of people complain about Pogtar weather, but I think it's cool. I mean, it's a steady 18, 19 degrees all year round. Yeah. What's not to like? I mean, the rainy season is a pain in because um, you never have uh, dry feet. But um, other than <laughs> that, uh, I'd say Pogtar's weather is, is um, yeah. All right. All right. I, I mean, I, I thought you would say. I'm not surprised by it. I think Bogota, I'm from Cali. My friends are from Cali. My family's from Cali. So anyone that moves to Bogota is constantly complaining about the weather compared yeah. to the nice cool. warm weather in Cali. But yeah. um, all right, final spot kick, Carl. This is a tough one. As an okay. Aston Villa fan and an Aston mm -hmm. Villa supporter, you're building an all-time Aston Villa starting 11. Who is okay. your center forward? Juan Pablo Angel or Dwight York? <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, again, you're going to be disappointed <laughs> in me. And despite him walking out of us um, for Man United, which hurt, hurt me as much as it hurt John, John Gregory at the time when he said if I had a gun, I'd have shot him. <laughs> um, I'd have to say no. Because I, I think Angel arrived and he's... He had that one really, really good season. Mm. He's old. Our, um, nah, definitely York. York. Definitely. Yeah. That's Even tough. It's player. tough. I mean, York is yeah. a top, top guy. I mean, Angel, for me, when he was good at Aston Villa, it's mm. what drew me to the Premier League at the time. It was an unbelievable uh, yeah. story. And he had that first great year. I think he scored like 70 goals while he was there, though. Uh, yeah, 60 yeah. something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, Dwight, mm -hmm. Dwight York is, is Dwight York. I mean, one of the top footballers, one of the top strikers the Premier League has probably ever seen. So I guess I can't blame you for that. Exactly. One. exactly. Yeah, no, Angel was great. And he, when he arrived, he had a, a lot of personal problems and he, he did really well to uh, to stick it out. And I think he was with us for about six years, um, which is quite a long time for... And at that time, he... It wasn't very common for, I mean, Aspria had been there mm -hmm. in, in England and Ricard had yep. been there. Um, but the, it wasn't a destination that Colombians would uh, would go to like it is is, is now. Um, so, no, he, he was a, it was a great play for us. But York is possibly, no, he's in my uh, all-time Aston Villa. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, 11 um, alongside Peter with so, uh, yeah. Well, Carl Warswick, thank you so much for coming on Copa with Felipe Cardenas. Thank you for, for being my guest today. If you're listening, uh, follow Carl on Twitter, C Warswick, uh, at C Warswick. Look out for his documentary. When, when will we see the documentary, Carl? 
I'm not sure they've not told us, but it's okay. a six-part documentary going out next year, I think, before the World, uh, the Women's World Cup. Each um, episode, it talks about um, how women's, the, the qualifying uh, phase in each of the regions. But it's, it's more than that. It's not just a, a highlights uh, package and some behind-the-scenes stuff. It, there are a lot of stories about the, the, uh, the background of players and NGOs that are working in women's football. Um, the fans, um, that, that kind of thing. So uh, I think it's going to be a, a really great show when it comes out, but I can't tell you yet. They haven't told me. So. All right. We'll be on <laughs> the lookout. We'll be on the lookout. Thanks okay. for coming on, Carl. All the best. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.